We are in week three of a series called One. Um, I know that there's some note sheets floating around, but I'm thinking I might need to start making more of those. Um, if you want a note sheet, there's a few back there. If you want to raise your hand, they'll, they'll get it to you. Um, we are, let me just give you a one minute, one minute recap of what we've learned in the first two weeks. First off, we start with this. Everything that we need, everything that we need comes from one. That one is Jesus which is why over 30 times in the letter to the Ephesians, he uses phrases like in Christ, with Christ. I think last week we talked about 216 times. 216 times in the New Testament, you'll see that phrase. It's pretty important, right? Um, how many of you, growing up, your parents told you to make your bed a lot? And you're, then they tell you to take out your trash. They tell you things over and over, and you just want to look at them and go, stop. Like, why do you keep bugging me with that stuff? And then your parents would say, because you never do it. Right? Because it's important. Well, this is important. Okay? Being in Christ, it's important. 216 times in the New Testament. If everything we need comes from Jesus, then it's important that we're in Christ, which means the week one we learned there's only one real point, there's only one choice, and it is that we should choose Jesus. Last week we found out that when we choose Jesus, we're blessed with all kinds of things. Specifically, we talked about these three. We're selected by the Father, we're set free by the Son, we're sealed by the Spirit. All this sounds extremely religious, but here's the deal. Having those blessings does not give us pride. I'm happy you know Christians that go to church that are really proud of themselves. It's ugly sometimes, isn't it? Like They think they're so much better than everybody else. But what we learned last week is when we have all these blessings from God, we shouldn't be filled with pride. We should be filled with praise. Because it has very little to do with us and a lot to do with God. So this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, the last part of that chapter. Um, and we're going to find out that all of this just sets us up for another amazing step in our walk with Jesus. Keep your finger in Ephesians 1. I'm, I'm, we're going to put this next verse up on the screen so you don't have to turn to it. But in John 10.10, 10, I just want to read this scripture to you, just kind of talk you through it. This is going to kind of be the backdrop for the whole message. John 10.10 says this, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I, that's Jesus, I have come that you might have life, and life to the full. So we're doing this whole thing called one. We're trying to focus everything down, boil it down to one thing, because it's easy to remember that. So let's just sum it up like this. Satan, the enemy, has one goal for you. I know it said three. How many of you can add Oh, I was hoping for more hands, to be honest with you, right there, right? We'll not be getting offering counters from these people, right? Um, so if you read that verse, you're kind of like, wait a second, the enemy has three goals, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But let's just sum it all up like this. The enemy wants to get you out of the way. He wants to take you out, okay? So let's just say that the enemy's goal for you is death. He wants to kill you. And Jesus' goal for you is life, and not just life, but life to the full. And that phrase, to the full, kind of an interesting phrase. And here's what it means. It's really theological. Are you ready? Everybody look at me. Get on your theology hats. The Greek word for to the full means more. That's all it means. So it's like God doesn't want you to be exceptional. He wants you to be more exceptional. He doesn't want you just to live. He wants you to have more life. He doesn't want you just to be um, amazing. He wants your life to be more amazing. That's what that word means. So God's plan for you is that you would have life to the full. Jesus has a goal, and that's the goal, for you to have life to the full. More remarkable, more amazing. It is uncontainable. The minute we try to contain the kingdom of Jesus, even in our own life, we totally miss it because it's uncontainable. 
Have you ever been talking in public and something flew out of your mouth? That's awkward, isn't it? Especially if it hits the person that you're talking to. That's kind of the idea. Like, there's this overflow. Like, it just comes, there's more in there. There's more life. You can't even contain it. The reason why I'm bringing that up, that verse, is because the last half of Ephesians 1, Paul's writing to his readers. He's writing about that kind of full life. And we're going to find out. He gives us two specific ingredients that we've got to have in our lives to live them to the full. The sad thing is a lot of people are living half full lives. They're not even, they're just half, half of what God wants for them. Because they're only, they only got one of these two ingredients. So here we go. Number one, just two ingredients. We've got to be thankful. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Here's what Paul wrote. For this reason, and for this reason is all the things we talked about last week. All the things, all the blessings that we have in Christ. Because we have all those things. Because we've been saved by the Father. Selected by the Father. We've been set free by the Son. We've been sealed by the Spirit. For that reason, Paul says... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. If we stopped right now and we just took a really quick survey, yes or no question, and it's not a trick question, okay, so respond accordingly. Yes or no, are you thankful for the things in your life? Yes, raise your hand. Yeah, and if I say no, I'm going to guess that nobody's hands are going to go up. See, all of us, we say that we're thankful. We're pretty sure that we're thankful, but I think sometimes instead of really being thankful, we're just trying to make sure we don't feel guilty for not appreciating what we have. There's a big difference there. So Paul's thankful, and he's not even thankful for stuff. And I use the word stuff kind of with reservation because I don't want to say like being thankful for your kids is stuff or being thankful that you have a car is stuff. I mean, But that is just physical things down here. Part of our lives here, Paul's thankful for spiritual things. He said, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's not stopped giving thanks. Here's what Paul is thankful for. He's thankful that they've been selected by God. He's thankful that they've been set free by the Son. He's thankful that they've been sealed by the Spirit. Have you ever been in a church when somebody got up and said, Hey, last week I was at some place and I started teaching and three people gave their hearts to Jesus and the whole place just erupts and goes nuts. The typical experience is we say that and we see what y'all just did. People kind of go, that's great. That's great. And then the preacher gets up and makes some obligatory comment about how last week when I was at Big Al's watching the Panthers game, the people at the bar, and they were going crazy. And if you really love Jesus, you would go crazy like that, right? And then we feel about this tall because we didn't get excited about people getting saved. I'm not saying that we have to just totally go nuts and cut flips and cartwheels because somebody gives their heart to Jesus. But the Bible says that when somebody does that, the angels in heaven rejoice, right? So I'm thinking maybe some kind of reaction that fits with our personality might be a good thing. And that's all Paul's saying here. I'm thankful for spiritual things. Are we? Here's one more convicting truth. Just a simple statement. He said, I've never stopped giving thanks for you. Let me ask you this question. Have you stopped giving thanks for the person next to you? 
I don't even know the person next to me, man. You're freaking me out. If you know them, right? If you know them, have we stopped giving thanks for the person next to us? Paul said, man, when I heard about your faith in Jesus, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. It's probably not how most of us roll. Um, We might give thanks for people in church, but it usually goes like this. Thank you, God, that they didn't come today. (laughs) But Paul, if we take that letter, he wrote it to a church, right? If we take that letter and we bring it into today, here's what Paul's saying. Hey, gathering, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus Christ, I've, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. He was thankful for two things. He was thankful for the saving power of God. And he was thankful for the saved people of God. God, that convicts me. That just convicts me. Like, am I thankful for those two things? Am I thankful for the saving power of God? And most of us would say yes. We have to say yes, right? Because if we've given our hearts to Jesus and he saved us, it'd be bad if we weren't thankful for that, right? But then that second one, are we thankful for the saved people of God? My guess would be this. If we just, and and we're boiling everything down to one thing for the year. If we just took 2014 and we simply practice that being thankful for the saving power of god in the world obviously we prayed for andy today there's other places but then being thankful for the saved people of god god i'm so glad that you not only saved me but you saved wendy you saved fill in the blank of the person that you really don't even like am i thankful for them which by the way that was not wendy i really like wendy But if we just took one year and we were thankful for that, how would our experience in the body of Christ change? Just being thankful. Have you ever heard somebody say it's hard to be mad at somebody that you pray for? You should try that. You try regularly praying for somebody, and you will find that they might not change, but something about you begins to change. You see them differently. You feel differently about them. There's, it's just very hard to stay mad at people that you pray for. Being thankful. That's one of the ingredients. Here's the second one. We've got to be prayerful. It's not enough just to be thankful. We've got to be prayerful. Um, without doing a lot of theology here. If you go back to Genesis 128, when God created man... He said, I'm going to create you, I'm going to place you in the garden, and all the things are yours. He blessed us from day one with everything that we have. So a lot of people are walking around, right? And they are oblivious. We were talking about this this morning back in prayer. They are oblivious to the things that God has blessed them with. Like They're breathing, right? That's a blessing. They have um, families who love them. That's a blessing. They could be the most hated man or woman in the world, but they've got a kid that probably loves them. That's a blessing. They might not love Jesus, but they've got blessings. And are they thankful? If we ask them, are you thankful? They would probably say yes. A lot of times we're thankful, but we're not prayerful. We're thankful for the things in our lives, but we forget who gave them to us. Genesis 128 says that all the blessings, they come from God to us. Evil people love 
evil people prosper. Sometimes we're blessed even though we don't realize who the blesser is. That's not a full life. That's a half full life. Paul was more than just thankful. He was also prayerful. Verse 16. I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What was Paul prayerful about? One thing. Although, we're going to read three things. I'm going to give you three things, but it's just one thing. Remember last week we talked about the camera closet? Do y'all remember that? You love that? Michelle's like, God, you have to bring up the camera closet again. We're talking about how they're moving, and they just pulled all this stuff out of one closet, right? It was like, they were like, man, that's all that was in one closet. That's kind of how this is, right? Paul's going to pray for them. He wants them to know Jesus. He just said, I pray that you would know him. But he's going to pray three specific things that will help them know Jesus better, and here's what they are. He prayed that they would see the hope of Jesus. He prayed that they would see the riches of Jesus, and he prayed that they'd see the power of Jesus. So, if we're not careful, we'll check out right now. Here's why. Because I just mentioned hope, and some of us are like, well, I don't really believe in hope. I've hoped for things before, and it didn't happen. Um, we hope for that girl to like us back. Last week, we all hoped for the Panthers to win. Well, I shouldn't say all. The smart people did. We hope for lots of things, but here's what I want you to understand. We hope in things that are unreliable. All it takes is one bad date, and that girl's not calling you back, Right? All it takes is one bad game, and the Panthers, they're out of the playoffs. And so when we read, like, wait a second. So he prayed that they would know the hope of Jesus. We equate the hope of Jesus with the hope that we've all grown up knowing doesn't really work. But, man, hoping in Jesus is so much more reliable than that. It's not like hoping that the Panthers do well. It's not like hoping that I passed the test because I read the book on the five-minute drive to school. I told my mom, drive slower. I'm not ready, right? I hope I pass this test, even though I'm not prepared for it. And I have no way of knowing even what's going to be on the test. It's not reliable. This is not that kind of hope. The hope that we have in Jesus is grounded in the 100% ironclad, without a doubt, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I want you to get. God does not have bad days. God doesn't have the kind of bad days that say, you know what, that whole thing about them having hope in me, I don't feel like fulfilling that today. Forget it. He doesn't have bad days. We can count on Jesus. And why can we count on Jesus? Simply because he's risen from the dead. Um, take your Bible and go to the right about a quarter of an inch. You'll find the book of 1 Peter. Let me just read you a quick passage from 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verses 3 through 7. While I read it, you're going to realize it's, it's pretty similar to what we just read. So, almost like Peter and Paul got together and started a band. Here we go. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why Paul said in Corinthians that if he didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. But he rose from the dead. No doubt about it. And because of that, we have a living hope. We've been born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul prayed in Ephesians that they would know the hope of Christ. He prayed that they would know the riches of Jesus. Look at verse 4 here. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Because it's kept in heaven for you. So we all know about trusting in riches, right? We trust in riches every month when we get our checks. We put them in the bank. And some of us have that money stay in the bank longer than others. But all of us at some point realize, man, that's not going to get it done. We all know what it's like to trust in riches, and we also know what it's like to have riches fade because they're all down here. But this, this inheritance, these riches in Christ, they are kept for us in heaven. They will not fade. They are based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What did Paul pray that they would know? He prayed they would know the hope of Jesus, that they would know the riches of Jesus, that they would know the power of Jesus. What did Peter just write about? He just wrote about hope, riches, and inheritance. He wrote about power. Listen, here's what I want you to get. This allows us to be thankful and prayerful in any circumstance. What does he say after that? Verse, verse 6. In this, 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What did we learn last week? That the Holy Spirit has done what? He has sealed us, Right? Everybody look at me because I'm going to bring it home. I'm going to make sure you get this. He sealed us. And what was the seal? It was a mark of authenticity, right? Back in the days when he wrote this, when they would seal something, it said, this is legit. Now, you already know what I'm about to say is true because you've lived this. You watch people that are happy all the time, right? Do you know something like that? They're always smiling. You never see them have a bad day. And let me just ask you this real quick question. Do you believe it's real? No. I'm not saying it's not real, because I know people like that. It probably is real, but we don't believe it's real. When do we believe it's real? I'm going to be very blunt, so make sure you get this. We believe it's real when they go through crap, and they come out on the other side and still smile. When they overcome, that's when we believe it's real. Why is that? Because of what we just read in 1 Peter. 
Because it's the testing of our faith and being shielded by the power of God. The Holy Spirit is a deposit in us in guaranteeing our inheritance. That's what stamps us, seals us. That's what makes us legit. We're thankful and we're prayerful. That's what makes us legit in every circumstance. It's not enough just to be thankful and prayerful when it's good. But even when it's bad, if we're thankful and we're prayerful, that's what makes us authentic. Something about that makes people look at us and say, now now that person, they've got something that I want. It doesn't mean that we go looking for hard times to go through. Where did Paul write the letter of Ephesians? Anybody know? Anybody remember? In prison. So I think he knows what he's talking about, right? He's sitting in prison going, by the way, like the Holy Spirit that seals you, he's marking you. You are authentic. He is going to carry you, deliver you to Jesus. You're going to be okay. Not because we smiled and acted like everything was okay, but even in the worst place, in prison, right now, I'm telling you, in Christ, you're going to be legit. And if we don't have that, you know, we, we just have a half full life. When we live like that in all circumstances, people see in us a faith that is real. They see in us a faith that is, go back to John 10, 10, more real. Here's the takeaway. Here's the big idea. For today, it's at the top of your sheet if you want to fill it in. When we're thankful and prayerful, our lives will be full. When we're thankful and prayerful, our lives will be full. Let me just say this again. A lot of people live their lives half full because they've got one or two, one of those two ingredients. And you know people like this. The people that are thankful but not prayerful, they're not aware that it's God who's blessing them. Those are the people that um, if you go and share Christ with them and tell them how much they need Jesus, they will look at you and say, no, I don't. You ever gone to Charlotte and, hypothetically speaking, gotten on a boat with somebody that owns a boat and been tubing and having a great time? And turn to them as they pull the boat into the dock in front of their lake house that's worth $3.78 million and tell them how they need Jesus. They look at you like, do what? I don't need anything. Look at all that I have. It's not even an arrogant thing. It's that they just do not see God. They're thankful, but not mindful of who gave it to them. They're not prayerful. And then you know people that are prayerful but not thankful, right? I mean, I'm sorry if I'm getting ready to describe you. But people that are prayerful and not thankful, they pray all the time. And they even pray to God. And they pray to God about other people, but they're not thankful for those people. Their prayers are nothing but complaints and gripes and whining to God. And demanding, I am a king's kid and you better give this to me now. They're not thankful. They're prayerful. And so their lives are half full. Does that make sense? But when you put those together, when we're thankful and we're prayerful, something happens to our lives. We become more life to the full. 
living life like John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, does not mean that all of you that are melancholy suddenly become the life of the party. It doesn't mean that you walk into the room and start dancing in front of everybody. Lampshade on your head. It just means that there's something in you. There's a stamp. There's a seal. There's a mark that makes you legit. What's the end result of living lives that are thankful and prayerful? Ephesians 1.23, the last verse of this first chapter. The end result is that the body, when, and when Paul uses the, the term, which it says, which is his body, when he uses the term body, he means the church. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We talk a lot, I mean, because I'm a pastor, so I go hang out with other pastors, and I always ask questions like, so how many people you got coming? I think that might be the wrong question, right? I mean, I want our church to be full, but I want our church to be full like Ephesians 1 full. Like full of thanksgiving and full of people praying and full of people that are mindful of God. That it's God and not us. That he does all of this stuff. That we didn't deserve any of this. I want us to be full like that. The chairs, they take care of themselves, right? And you don't want the chairs to be full anyway. Because you're like, I want to put my arm out. And if there's a stranger there, it's going to be awkward. But if we're full of Jesus, guess what happens? Suddenly, like, that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as, man, I want you to know Jesus. That's the kind of full church we want to have. The end result of being like Paul and saying, look, from the moment I heard about your faith in Christ, I've not stopped giving thanks. All I can do in prayer is get on my knees and thank God for you. All I can do is pray that you would know the hope of Jesus. It's grounded in the resurrection. It's not like hoping in a sports team. It is real. All I can do is pray that you know the riches of Jesus. That what Man, what he has, it is yours. And I don't know how that transfers from heavenly riches into paying Duke energy. I don't understand any of that stuff. I think it's got something to do with working your tail off at a job. But somehow he does that. Somehow he will take a church like the gathering, and because we're sending money over to Delhi to help support people that, that, that they're doing the best they can in horrible situations, and we get to be blessed to be a blessing to them, somehow he takes that and he blesses us again. I don't understand any of that, but I know this. The riches of Christ are real, and they are ours. And Paul's praying for that in the Ephesians' lives. He said, I pray that you know the power, not just any power, but verse 19 says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the time to come. I'm not trying to harp on hard times, but let me just tell you this. I never pray for power when I have it. One eight 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 power on is some number you can call for Duke Energy. Do you know the only time I call that number? When I don't have power. I don't pick up my phone and call the number and say, just checking in, dude. Just wanted to hear the automated woman voice. 
You know, when I pray these verses, like there's a verse in Romans that says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in my body, giving life to my mortal body. You know, when I pray those verses, when I'm at mile 22 of a marathon, uh, that life thing, now, please, if you could, just zap me to the end. Because when you're weak, that's when you pray for power. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, don't freak out that I'm in prison. Don't freak out that I got stuff going on. I'm not just happy and thankful and prayerful because things are good. I'm thankful and I'm prayerful because that's all that we can be. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. If you go to community group this week, you'll talk about these verses. Two verses together. They say the exact same thing. He says, pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstance. Be thankful. Be prayerful. The world sees a church that's full of pride, full of anger, full of bigotry. I'll just go ahead and say it. The world sees a church that's full of homophobes. But when we're thankful for the saving power of God and the saved people of God, when we pray on a regular basis that they would see the hope of Jesus, the riches of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the promise of this passage is that the world would see a church full of Jesus. And that's our mission. Our mission is to be near a God who saves and to be near a people he saved in order to show a world he loves how much he wants to be near them too. It is a big mission to take this gospel from Jesus to people that need him. And here's the thing. It cannot be accomplished by people living lives half full. It can only be accomplished when our lives are full. So here's the, the message. Here's the whole thing. Be thankful. Be thankful. Just as we're getting ready to close, look at the person next to you because you go to church with them. Look at them. Go ahead. Like, nah, I'm visiting and I'm not coming back. So I don't have to look at nobody. Well, you're here today. Just look at them. Let me just challenge you with this. Be thankful for that person. Live out what Paul wrote. And since I heard about your faith, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. Be thankful for that person. Be prayerful about that person. Pray that they would know hope and riches and power in Jesus. Man, it would change everything. It would change everything. When we're thankful and we're prayerful, our lives will be full.